Hello and welcome to episode 85 of the Synergen Leadership Podcast. For those of you who are listening for the first time, my name is Julian Carl and I'm the CEO and the co-founder of Synergen Group. I'm passionate about all things leadership and management, so passionate in fact that I decided to start a podcast about it. And here we are in season two and my purpose for the podcast continues to be the same, to raise the standard of leadership. So in today's show, I speak with Tony Homewood, who is the author of Best Behaviour, Empowering Managers and HR Leaders to Coach and Align Employee Behaviours to Supercharge Growth. Tony is the founder of Outperform Consulting, who offer a unique approach to improving your business profitability by partnering your HR and management team to align your business for change, gain clarity of business goals and benefits, whilst undertaking a performance reporting refresh to enable a proactive culture of improvement and growth. Tony is passionate about human behaviour and people development. He is a commercially focused chartered accountant with substantial business performance experience in large, local and global organisations. He's also a qualified motivational, behavioural and emotional practitioner and he's gained a solid appreciation that people drive business and the absence of people, there is no profit. He's worked with organisations such as Bega, Frontera, American Express and KPMG. Now, during the course of the conversation, we explore his book in detail. I start off, as always, asking Tony why did he decide to write this book. We speak about the new world of HR and management and how we can develop ourselves. We discuss the idea of forging deeper relationships and the significance of self-awareness. And I finish the interview by asking Tony about the power of goal setting and why we must, as individuals, appreciate the need for change. So keep listening. And as always, we'd really like to hear your thoughts about the interview with Tony Holmwood, author of best behaviour, empowering managers and HR leaders to coach and align employee behaviours to supercharge growth. Happy listening. Welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast with Julian Carl. Julian returns in 2019 with weekly conversations with leaders and authors from Australia and around the world, giving you the opportunity to share in their journey and learn from their expertise and knowledge. Julian also shares some of the tools and techniques he uses as a leader, mentor, and facilitator, helping you to build your leadership capability and improve your confidence as a leader. Well, welcome, Tony, to the Synergen Leadership Podcast. Really appreciate you taking the time to be a part of it. So that the listeners have a bit of a a sense of who you are, who is Tony Holmwood? I'm actually a cultural change and emotional intelligence coach and uh, I have actually a, bra- a background as a, as a chartered accountant but uh, of recent times I've moved into projects and into change management and only recently moved into more of a cultural change role and also leadership emotional intelligence uh, with my background and also having resolved some personal uh, struggles around social phobia that's brought in a lot of my learned behaviors and also skills uh, which I can hopefully take uh, to leadership in in the marketplace especially around uh, HR teams and managers. Great so we're here today to talk about uh, your book uh, called Best Behavior Empowering Managers and HR Leaders to Coach and Align employee behaviours to supercharge growth. Why did you decide to write a book about it? Well, about 15 years ago, uh, I left my role as the head of sales planning and compensation for a major software company. 
uh, after being disillusioned by its toxic culture. My experience back then with working with HR and systems helped me to see a bit of a gap in the market in terms of providing HR development and processes uh, to small to medium business who typically wouldn't have a HR presence. So at the time, HR was obviously being disrupted. I know in 2004 alone in the US, about 3.8 million HR roles were displaced through HR outsourcing. So we're fighting a bit of an uphill battle to sell our services and the business failed to get funding. And at that stage, uh, people strategy had pretty much taken a back seat to achieving short-term profit objectives. So this was the reason I conceived the balanced behavioral development model, which presented a, a definitive role for HR ownership of relationships and emotional intelligence in organizations. Okay, well, I want to start by uh, reading a bit of an excerpt, which I think sort of touches on a couple of key points for me. As a human resources HR professional, are you struggling under the burden of regulatory compliance with only limited time, resources and support to influence your organization's profitability? As a manager, are you finding it difficult to keep your employees motivated and engaged? Do you feel the need to help them realize a better quality of life without necessarily knowing where to start? Would you rather be developing employee potential to increase strategic value and innovation? And as a leader, would you like to be respected for your strength of character, resilience, strategic awareness, empowerment of others, strong sense of purpose and your contribution? Would you like to inspire others to grow and fulfill their dreams to make a difference and experience improved well-being, connection and longevity? And I suppose the reason it, it uh, resonated with me is of, of a lot of the interviews that I've done and a lot of the inter- books that I've read, it's, it's quite interesting that you are tying together the, the relationship between uh, HR and managers and leaders. Is that, is that crucial in any organisation? The reason why I'm targeting uh, HR professionals is uh, essentially uh, within an organisation, somebody has to be accountable for relationships and, and also networking strategy. And um, emotional intelligence is obviously part of that. And uh, I saw HR professionals as probably being, uh, you know, the one function within the organisation who should obviously be most accountable and responsible for, uh, for coaching and facilitating uh, the development of uh, emotional intelligence within, I guess, managers and also leadership if they have to actually uh, manage up and, and develop up. Um, but also uh, to, because it's obviously quite a, can be quite a challenging area to, um, to provide an ind- independent voice to employees to actually help them to understand and be aware of what's involved in terms of actually uh, developing emotional intelligence. So, um, so essentially, I decided to actually write the book and to target HR because, uh, you know, as I said, they are they should be accountable, but they can also be seen to be independent coaches and facilitators uh, to managers to actually help them develop uh, more emotional awareness uh, so those managers can actually coach and facilitate their employees. And as well as that, as suggested, uh, can represent those uh, those skill sets into leadership. 
So the book is uh, written based around your balanced behavioral development model. What's the origin of the model? When the business startup we worked on some 15 years ago uh, didn't proceed, um, what I did is I actually sat down and wrote a manuscript uh, on how HR could best operate in organisations. And essentially I came to the conclusion that as uh, I precluded to before, HR should be responsible for one-to-one relationships, which supports the development of uh, critical reasoning skills, strategic networking, creativity and innovation in organisations, change initiatives, uh, the coaching of emotional intelligence, the aligning of roles and responsibilities to capability, uh, planning implementation, and also personal development. Um, And I saw those roles as obviously being essential to the execution uh, and networking and connecting of strategy within organisations. And what I did find back there, there was probably not uh, a big focus on vision and strategy. Uh, Everything became quite transactional. Uh, Obviously, there was the the software or the the technology uh, collapse, market collapse, and um, I think people really sort of tightened up and uh, HR outsourcing uh, was probably a big part of that. A lot of the HR people obviously lost their jobs, but uh, those that were left uh, were reassigned to typically business partnering roles and, um, you know, essentially managing employee employee problems and, and compliance. So uh, I did see a gap in organisations, especially around relationships and, and strategy implementation. So you were able to give a bit of a high-level introduction to your model? So essentially, I organised the, the functions of, a, of the organisation around uh, what are emotional associations, but also learning associations. And uh, for example, uh, operations and administration would typically have uh, many-to-many associations, um, customer service and sales who typically deal with uh, obviously the customer and their, their problems have many to one associations, HR being all about relationships, have one to one associations, whereas marketing communications are more aligned to one to many or solutions and also strategic associations. So, uh, and that's how I essentially map the functions in the organization uh, pretty much around a cycle, uh, which was along the x-axis past, present, future. Obviously, marketing and and communications were more future-focused and strategy-focused, whereas uh, uh, essentially customer service sales and also operations and administration were more reflective and and focused more on the doing and... uh, and past tense and also reflective type uh, associations. Um, Customer service and sales tended to be more personal focused as well as HR, whereas operations administration uh, and also marketing and communications were more outward focused. 
and that's how uh, those functions were aligned in terms of the, an organizational structure. I then uh, went on to expand that to include uh, development framework. So, uh, you know, for instance, managers should have great relationship skills. Uh, they should be emotionally intelligent. So I mapped managers to the HR function, for instance, uh, sales and, and also customer service. You know, in terms of their skills, they're best learnt within a team environment. Uh, and uh, when it came to marketing and communications, uh, that they were more sort of leadership skills and a leader should have uh, a good grasp of uh, obviously the strategy and the, and the picture to the marketplace as well as uh, you know, all the, um, uh, I guess, functions and, and understanding and capability of uh, a marketing or a communications person. Great. Well, I'm interested in uh, this statement you make in, in Chapter 2, and you say there's a new world of HR and management. So what's this new world that you're writing about? You know, some of the, the leading organisations today, they're fast becoming more team-focused, uh, agile and organic in their organisational cultures, with managers and HRs assuming the role of facilitators and coaches. Uh, this is all about challenging employees to active, actively participate and to broaden their skills and application. Uh, so companies are coming more about knowledge sharing, uh, open environments, uh, also social purpose, so they can uh, obviously direct more of more purposely to the community. Uh, so we, they can actually include the customers, uh, knowing that the company is supporting them, and that's defining the organisations of the future. And this is where sort of HR and people strategy can, can and will succeed over the more sort of competitive hierarchical structures of the past where strategy was essentially disconnected. You talk about the value of developing oneself. So how, how do people go about that? If they make that decision that they want to start to undertake some development, how do, they, how do you suggest they start? Um, so within my book, uh, I do explore development techniques. Learning doesn't always need to be structured. Workplaces in this day are encouraging employees to act actively participate, to communicate without fear of judgment, and to play to their strengths, which is helping employees to experiment with new behaviours and develop self-confidence. Obviously, a big uh, factor of my book is that... Uh, I represent how behaviours influence uh, our learning and, um, you know, the more we experiment and the more we're active within an organisational uh, or workplace environment, the more we learn through uh, emotional associations, through learning associations, obviously uh, adopting more of a growth mindset. By aligning these growth objectives and effect with effective hands-on leadership, who can more influence inspiring visions and purposeful strategy. It's a, it's a powerful pro, uh, precursor to personal growth, innovation and strategic success. So on the one hand, uh, providing an environment where uh, employees can partake and experiment, but you know, also with effective leadership who can provide visions and strategies for those employees to have a pathway to growth. You, you talk about 
the need to believe in yourself to enable your growth and the growth of others. So talk to me a little bit about that. So uh, for most people, uh, as you and I would know, uh, developing self-confidence can be one of our biggest hurdles. Um, and a number of uh, workplace environments today are employing strength-based teams so that people can play to their strengths and build a strong self-belief. Once we're more confident, we can then dig deep to understand our motivations, our likes and dislikes, and also to define our passion and drivers. The more we understand our drivers and, and how they influence us, the more we can appreciate how other people operate as well. And this level of understanding is, is pretty essential for, uh, for managers in terms of uh, managing their employees. And in the work that you do, are you finding that uh, managers and leaders have that sense? Um, through my own experience uh, and having worked in a number of corporations, um, there's probably a lack of, of leadership skills, especially around leaders who and managers who uh, are emotionally aware and uh, who can act as coaches and facilitators to, uh, to employees. And, um, you know, that's where I see quite a big gap in the market, especially around emotional development programs to help uh, managers and leaders sort of open up and become uh, uh, obviously a lot more sort of spatially aware, which is all about self-awareness and uh, cultural awareness. Uh, and without being spatially aware, uh, good leaders find it, uh, I guess leaders would find it more difficult to actually influence and inspire employees because uh, they tend to be right brain attributes, which are all about emotional intelligence and also cultural awareness. So, um, you know, in this day, I think we have a lot more sort of transactional leaders rather than transformational leaders, which tend to be a lot more creative and future focused. Uh, and um, that's essentially uh, where we're at. I was interested when you wrote about this idea that our identity is a product of knowing who we are. So how do people go about fully understanding who they are? So um, obviously people uh, develop their skills over a lifetime and um, you know, uh, as skills and development as a child actually play a very important role in defining who we are. And we tend to develop our identities through, uh, through that growth phase. And the more you sort of understand what got you here, the more you can understand who you are and actually what your drivers uh, are to take you forward. So, um, you know, throughout uh, our development, our learned behaviours exist as a polarity of opposites. From fear, we, we tend to learn trust. From every right, there's a wrong. What we believed as a child may be revealed as a myth in adulthood. So what we learn as a child in establishing our capability provides security as an adult when we actually apply ourselves to our work. So yeah, identity uh, obviously grows over a lifetime and the more you sort of understand yourself and, and where you've come from, the more you can actually apply yourself in moving forward. 
And just continuing on this idea of growth, you you talk about the idea that people need a level of respect, acceptance, and direction to grow. Is that really about the type of environment that the leader creates for them? Yeah, absolutely. Positive, uh, inclusive work environments provide the freedom for employees to experiment, to apply uh, their unique understanding. We're an environment about respecting their contributions uh, will encourage employees to, to actively partake. Having respectful leaders and coaching who influence and inspire employees to contribute is another factor mentioned previously. While providing an open, fluid, organic culture encourages the diversifying of skills to also meet those strategic objectives. I was fascinated when you... I start to read about uh, the link you make between behaviours and philosophy. I, I, I thought it would yeah. be interesting to explore that a little for the listeners. Yeah. So, um, you know, the ancient Chinese first represented matter as having opposing states with a balance of both being desirable. And this is obviously referred to yin and yang. But also the concept of uh, dualism is also represented in many religions. Uh, it was the Buddhists uh, who observed life evolving through different states, which became the basis of their behavioural learning objectives through to enlightenment. If you've ever completed a behavioural pro profile assessment, you'll appreciate that behaviours are also represented in opposing states. Myers-Briggs as an example. Yeah, we do... Uh... Yeah, well, I suppose we like to call ourselves at Sinjin um, probably agnostic in terms when it comes to all the dis different uh, profiling and behavioural assessments out there because what we find is that it can be quite polarising for our clients. So I always tend to yeah. personally lean on the idea that uh, whichever one you're undertaking, it, it's about drawing some level of insight from it, knowing full well that there are plenty of other other models out there. So I think you're, you're, you're right where it's, it's about trying to draw what you can from them. Um, you know, a big part of my book is that, uh, you know, all of these behavioral assessments, um, uh, you know, are all about uh, obviously provided drawing a, a line in the sand and actually knowing where you're at in terms of uh, behavioral preferences and your profile. But um my book represents how you can actually de develop through uh, all profiles and uh, every behavior has a purpose mm. and every quadrant has a purpose for actual development. One of the, the things that we often do in our, the, our work is we talk about the, the value of building strong relationships being a, a key to leadership success. You talk about this idea of forging deeper relationships. Can you share with the, the listeners why that's such an important part of of what you're doing yeah um, and I obviously represent a lot of that in my book because I am targeting HR which as I said should be accountable for relationships so um, you know adopting a positive can-do attitude and a trusting outlook allows us to dig deeper into conversations and to also explore meaning meaningful solutions through critical reasoning very much uh, critical reasoning is, is a product of being emotionally intelligent. So you can actually uh, reason through various scenarios and, and obviously delve into solutions. Uh, also, 
being emotionally intelligent as being also present and in the moment and all provides also provides better listening skills and more spontaneous and authentic responses. This also encourages uh, and draws on our unique perspectives, which is obviously very valuable when applied to outcomes uh, we find meaningful, especially for the individual. And, and you talk about why it's so significant that people have a certain level of self-awareness. Why is it such a significant part of this whole idea that you're, you're sharing in your book? Yeah. Um, Self-awareness is the basis for emotional intelligence um, and personal development and accelerated learning techniques uh, will promote an understanding of who we are. The more we know our unique characteristics and learnings, the more we can actually apply them purposely. Uh, to know yourself is to be more, uh, is to more easily learn, unlearn and relearn. Uh, knowing your motivations and drivers also helps to define our purpose. Uh, so we can better apply ourselves to uh, to future objectives. Um, by understanding uh, our development objectives and being more self-aware, we're more likely to employ, also employ a growth mindset. And following on from our, uh, our uh, conversation just before around all the different personality types, you actually spend a bit of time talking about the misconceptions of personality types and you're challenging some of the the views are you able to um, go a bit deeper there for us exactly so um so carl jung was the father of behavioral science uh, he believed that all functions are undeveloped at birth uh, as we grow through uh different functions uh well different functions develop so in my book i explore how the opposing myers-briggs behavioral traits are in fact growth pathways uh, and this is also true of the four disc quadrants. So today, uh, behavioural assessments only offer uh, only limited guidance on how behaviours can be learned to influence personal growth. And also in the past, some behaviours were favoured over others. For example, extroversion over extra, uh, introversion. However, I believe all behaviours have a purpose. So... Uh, so, in fact, introversion or uh, our inside perspective, along with increasing our uh, empathy or feelings and knowing our motivations, which uh, play out within our instincts or intuition, will help us to build self-awareness. So, uh, developing those behavioural skills, intuition, feelings, uh, also being more introspective, will help us to actually develop emotional intelligence. And in this day, uh, as I've suggested before, uh, we have a pre predominance of transactional left brain leadership styles over our transformative right brain creative leadership styles. So, um, and again, they're associated uh, with behaviors that uh, are more left brain, you know, thinking, uh, judgment, uh, also sensory behaviors. And you suggest in the book that all behaviours can be learnt. So my question is, if a leader identifies a particular behaviour that they want to develop, how do you suggest they go out and start learning that particular behaviour? Okay. So um, behaviours actually influence our thoughts, uh, which in turn influence our emotions, 
uh, which then again influence our behaviours uh, in a perpetual cycle. So mastering any one of these is is how we learn. Um, the behavioural framework in my book aligns objectives to groups of behaviours to make them easier to learn. So, uh, for instance, um, judgment, uh, also thinking, uh, and uh, being introspective helps our uh, our IQ and and learning skills and and development in childhood, as an example. Um, the more we're aware of behavioural functions, the easier they are to learn and adapt. Um, for example, also feeling and sharing our environment, trusting our intuition, and resolving the noise and distractions in our minds through self-reflection helps to build self-awareness and emotional intelligence. So that's, again, applying a combination of uh, Myers-Briggs behaviours to actually learn uh, emotional intelligence, as an example. I was interested when you started making a link between how extroversion and introversion are evident in our nervous system. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yep. So um, our sympathetic nervous system, which triggers our fight, flight and freeze response, uh, this works antagonistically with our parasymmetric uh, nervous system being our being responsible for our rest and digest mode. People who tend to be more self-aware and intuitive have better self-control over their nervous response and can be a lot more calm, calculated and assured. So, um, you know, just being a little bit more introspective, uh, understanding more of your body attributes uh, through intuition can actually help you regulate and, and self control some of your uh, your nervous responses and you also and you know following on from that you you talk about this idea that our evolutionary pathway is evident in a human life cycle so when you say that how, how do you mean so um like our evolution uh human evolution we all initiate our life cycle as a single cell uh and uh, which obviously develops through a series of stages uh, through to full adult development. Uh, and in my book, I represent uh, the primary development stages, uh, which I also uh, met through to behavioral, um, opposing behavioral polarities. Uh, uh, number one being infant, which is more about uh, our primary development stages, uh, brain expansion. Child is more about uh, body expansion. Uh, adolescence is more about emotional expansion. Uh, and our adulthood is more about cultural awareness or work purpose. Obviously, our secondary growth occurs in the subsequent stage. Uh, obviously, our brain still starts developing in childhood, but at a, at a slow rate as uh, our body uh, growth then becomes our primary focus, etc. So our capability also develops through each of these stages as well and um, different intellectual stages. So, uh, for instance, uh, IQ typically, um, you know, will develop uh, mostly through childhood. Uh, emotional development uh, initiates into adolescence when the hormones are, 
are obviously pumping and facilitating quite quite a big change in our relationship skills. And as I said, uh, there's behaviours that can be mapped to each of these stages to uh, to optimise growth. I'm noticing a real trend uh, in the in the clients that we speak to and, and the leaders that we speak to about this idea about being authentic and how important it is from a leadership perspective. And you talk about this idea of being your authentic self. So, so what are the challenges people face in your experience when they're, when they're trying to make sure that they always are being their authentic self? Yeah. Um, you know, to be authentic or to be yourself is to be nonconformist uh, and just appreciate your unique qualities. Um, so, uh, for instance, uh, drop your guard and just obviously relax and, and try and be yourself more. The more you trust your ability, the more your decisions are, are your own and your unique views can also be creative. So just trying to be a little bit more non-conformist and, and unique in, in your approach. So also our intuitive processes or instincts uh, will guide our authentic self. They are independent, spontaneous decisions that draw on our value system. And as a measure of our emotional intelligence, intuition is used for problem solving. So drawing on our experiences, habits, gut feel, and your own expertise or common sense defines your intuitive decisions. Intuition adds feelings and personal experience to, uh, to rational thought to solve complex problems in a multi-dimensional way. So the more you can actually trust your intuition and just be yourself, um, try and not to overthink situations and be in the moment and be present, the more you will uh, be authentic. And I was interested as well in exploring this idea with you around how perception completes our intellectual development. Because I often wonder if, if leaders get enough time to reflect and, and, and develop that side of them. So how, how does perception complete our intellectual development? So perception uh, is very much a creative skill. So um, it uh, really evolves as an adult. When we're fully developed and, and engaged purposely, our perception acts as a powerful radar uh, to alert us to any inconsistency, inequality or opportunity within our environment. Obviously, employing visions, goals and objectives aligned to uh, our capability will fuel our environmental or cultural awareness and also indicates our behavioural mastery. Adapting all our behavioural characteristics helps us to employ all of our executive functions. Executive functions uh, include emotional awareness, critical reasoning, working memory, self-monitoring, planning and prioritising, task initiation and also organisation. When uh, our perception is switched on to future goals, uh, it's extremely powerful. Uh, our perception will subconsciously collect information to ensure our, our success uh, so we can actually accomplish those goals. So I know that I've got uh, there's some HR listeners out there in uh, our audience base and, and you talk about this new strategic role for HR. So what is that new strategic role? As I touched on before, uh, 
to be, um, well, HR and managers need to uh, embody trust by being impartial, inclusive, and also being an independent voice to act on behalf of both employees and the organization without question. And this is pretty much an absolute requirement for an organization to grow emotional intelligence. Uh, as I represented before, that can, emotional intelligence can be quite challenging for some individuals and uh, they really need to uh, trust their facilitator or coach to actually talk through some of those uh, deeper emotional uh, uh, challenges and uh, they need support from coaches uh, with strong ethical values uh, who they can trust. Emotional awareness encourages uh, growth mindsets, especially when employees are challenged and allowed the freedom to experiment and grow without fear of reprisal. So, um, you know, it is uh, quite essential and uh, quite important within organisations that we actually encourage environments to, uh, to develop emotional intelligence because it's very powerful. It obviously backs up uh, creativity and innovation, very personal perspectives, um, and uh, you know, gives people the courage and uh, the resilience to um, to be better contributors within the workplace. I found it interesting when you wrote that we need to build our self confidence and our self reflection before self awareness. Talk 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 to me a little bit about that. Okay, sure. Before delving into understanding our, our belief systems, also our coping mechanisms and inhibitions, we must first uh, be self-confident. And to do that, we play to our strengths and that'll get us there. When we're confident, we can begin to reflect on our likes and dislikes to understand our strengths and weaknesses and to build self-awareness. Uh, challenging our dislikes helps to build a growth mindset. So freeing the mind of distractions and noise also allows us to live in the moment and to explore our creative, authentic attributes. So definitely we need a solid foundation of skills and knowledge. Playing to our strengths builds that self-confidence so we can actually begin to self-reflect to understand uh, what those noises and distractions are within our mind um, so we can be more present, live in the moment, and. Uh, you know, develop growth mindsets. And you encourage the people that read your book to start to prepare for emotional transformation. How do you suggest they prepare for that? Okay. And, you know, for those people, uh, you know, emotional development, as I said, is, uh, can be a challenge for some people. Obviously, if you're caring, kind and, and, and sharing, in terms of your, your behaviours, you're probably already there in terms of emotional intelligence. Uh, for some people, it is a bit of a challenge. You know, the objective of emotional and growth and self-awareness is to free our mind of complexity and to appreciate a more positive outlook and with the associated health benefits that comes with that. Uh, this may not be for everyone, but should be a requirement for manager and leadership roles who don't obviously display emotional awareness. And I actually set out within my book about 18 different uh, tasks to actually help us to become more positive and emotionally intelligent, some of which uh, I represent, you know, be mindful of your body's needs, 
eat healthy and exercise. Uh, take a behavioral assessment to understand your start point um, in terms of self-awareness. If necessary, use mindfulness and meditation techniques to help you to self-reflect, to deal with those noise and complexity and distractions within your mind. Be grateful and adopt a more positive outlook. Uh, also be more empathetic, be open and share your environment. And, you know, just essentially engaging more in life and appreciating the beauty around you will actually help to grow your awareness. You talk about this idea of goal setting, and I think that's one of the things which leaders need to be very, very skilled at so that they can obviously, you know, set out to achieve what it is they need to achieve. And you talk about this idea of the power of the pen. Share a little bit about that. You know, first and foremost, uh, Physically writing down your goals actually imprints uh, your objectives on your unconscious mind and also uh, engages your uh, reticular activating system, which will guide you and keep you more focused on your task. You know, ensure your goals align to your passion and purpose to fully engage your capability, which also includes your subconscious mind. Uh, As a leader, your goal should be more meaningful to your team, organization and community to get employee and customer buy-in, always structure, organize and prioritize your goals to fully engage your executive functions. So, yeah, very powerful. And, um, you know, your perception when switched on the future, uh, it basically uh, employs your strategic mind and uh, draws in, you know, millions of bits of of data to obviously help you uh, fulfill your objectives. And towards the end of the book, you talk about this idea about why change initiatives often fail. And you write that an individual must appreciate the need for change. So how do we get them to appreciate the need for change? Yeah. So um, top-down change is really successful, as leaders might actually think uh, they are the change. Uh, Employees tend to resist forced change especially uh, if they are not respected to input to change solutions. Open communication, providing a compelling compelling reason for change will help uh, to stem resistance and uh, including employees in change decisions allows them to contribute for better outcomes and also allows them to appreciate growth pathways and take responsibility for their future. I did like uh, almost at the very end these seven steps to optimise business growth and cultural change. Are you able to just share at a high level what those seven steps are? Yeah, sure. As I've already covered in previously, uh, for those in need, uh, definitely offer emotional intelligence programs, especially for managers and leaders, to encourage growth mindsets, but also to increase their spatial awareness, uh, which is important for implementing strategies. So that's number one. Two, I've touched on create a compelling story or strategy that is uh, effectively communicated to employees. Number three, use intelligent dashboards sensitive to uh, behavioural needs to visualise and track important milestones. Number four, always involve employees and celebrate successes as a team. Number five, ensure systems and processes are aligned to encourage employee growth. Artificial intelligence, for example, should not detract from the, imbili- from the ability of employees to actually learn skills and grow. 
Number six, find ways to open workplace environments, simplify business complexity, and ways to challenge and engage employees. And finally, employee growth is an essential part of an organization's success. An open source change approach, uh, actually you'll find that online uh, through the CEB company, ensures everybody in the organization is included within the strategic initiatives and development. And are there any books or people that inspire you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, actually uh, somebody who I really admire is, uh, is Carol Dweck and her book uh, Mindset. And she explores how to encourage uh, growth mindsets. Um, you know, obviously those who believe in their abilities can be better developed more effectively. Uh, the other book uh, I've really come to appreciate, uh, which I actually reference in my book, is, uh, is An Everyone Culture, uh, Becoming a Deliberately Developmental Organization. And that's by Robert Keegan and Lisa Lascal Leahy. Uh, and they basically cover that the key to success is developing everyone within an organization. Actually, just one other person I, I did want to mention who's actually provided a testimonial to my book. Uh, that's uh, Dr. John Demartini, who's very much a behavioral master and mentor and author of, of many books, including uh, The Values Factor, as an example, which I also reference in my book. And if people want to find out more about you and the work that you do, where should they go? I have two websites. My author website is www.tonyhomwood.com and uh, my consulting website being www.outperform.com and that's spelt O-U-T-P-E-R-F number four M.com. Any last words on behaviours and leadership? You know, essentially the core of my uh, my understanding and, and my findings within the book is, uh, you know, our environment will influence our success or failure. Promoting open, inclusive environments where every employee is respected to contribute and experiment with different behaviours will enable a proactive culture and also supercharge your business growth. Well, on that note, Tony Humworth, thank you so much for being on the Synergen Leadership Podcast. Appreciate it and all the best. that wraps up episode 85 of the Synergen Leadership Podcast, another great author interview episode for you. I'd like to encourage you to head on over to the Synergen Group website, engage in the conversation with us. Tell us what you liked about the episode, tell us who you'd like me to interview, tell us what sort of content you'd like us to put together. And if you are an iPhone user, please feel free, head on over to the Apple site and leave us a review. Really does help us build awareness of the podcast. In next week's episode, we have another great curriculum ecosystem episode for you where I introduce the idea of leadership enablement and why it has become the critical factor in determining leadership success. It's another great content episode. Until then, love to hear what you think. Happy listening.